Nobody wants to pay $20 to watch people living next to chemical waste. They can see that in New Jersey. Look, I don't want to argue about it, okay? I'm going to raise the $8,000 myself so I can produce his play, and I want you to send me up for anything. I don't care what it is. I will do dog commercials on television. I will do radio voiceovers. Michael, I can't put you up for any of that. Why not? Because no one will hire you. Oh, that's not true, man. I bust my ass to get a part right, and you know I do. Yes, and you bust everybody else's ass, too. That's what you do. A guy's got four weeks to put on a play. You think he wants to sit and argue about whether or not Tolstoy can, can walk when he's dying or walk when he's talking or sing oh, when please, he's walking? two or... years ago, and that guy is an idiot. They and... can't all be idiots, Michael. You argue with everybody. You've got one of the worst reputations in this town, Michael. Nobody will hire you. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Waddington. And uh, this week, before we get into talking about Tootsie, which I can already tell is going to be a fascinating conversation. Uh, we are going to bring you some recommendations uh, as we normally do. Ian, would you like to go first? I would love to. So uh, this week I have something which is nowhere near Tootsie, but something I felt like revisiting. I hadn't seen it in about six, seven years. It's David Cronenberg's A History of Violence. Ooh, good, good movie. movie. Now, I, I didn't think much of it the first time I saw it. Really? Uh, and it took me, yeah, it's one of those movies that oddly took me two or three viewings to really figure out what it was they were going for. Um, and I don't, again, I don't know, I was, I was what, like 18 when it came out, so again, mm-hmm. not quite emotionally mature enough to sort of deal with some of the themes, but uh, in A History of Violence, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it starts uh, very simply, there are a couple of guys, they're on the road. Um, killing sort of indiscriminately. That's one of my sort of favorite details about it, that we have no idea why Leland and Billy are doing what they're doing. Yeah, it doesn't Um, matter. It doesn't matter at all. No, and it doesn't seem like they're in any kind of great rush either. I don't get the feeling that they're on the run. This is just kind of something they're doing. I love the... uh, I love the ambiguity about that. But anyway, they end up stopping in this very small, idyllic town in the middle. I believe it's Indiana or Illinois, one of those states out there. Yeah, kinda, yeah, that sounds, that sort sounds of about middle right. Middle of nowhere, middle America, suburban, again, very idyllic sort of town. And there's this character, Tom Stahl, played by Viggo Mortensen. He's got a, a wife who is a lawyer, played by Maria Bello, and a couple of kids. Um, pretty big age gap between the kids. You get the feeling that the older boy is probably 15, 16, maybe. The younger girl is, what, oh, six? seven. That, at yeah, best. Seven, yeah. Um, and they stop, these the two guys, Leland and Billy, they stop into Tom's diner, try to rob him, and then out of nowhere, he just Jason borns them, kills them both, and uh, kind of leaves a, a shockwave through the town and through his family that he was able to, to sort of do this big heroic thing. And then, of course, we get an incredible performance, very understated performance by Ed Harris, who's this mm-hmm. guy that comes in from out of town, from Philadelphia. He's got this messed up eye and he claims that Tom Stahl, the Vigo character, is someone else named Joey Cusack. And he, you know, he's he's getting a little too close to the family. He keeps pushing this issue saying, Hey, don't you remember me? And yeah, yeah, I I know I know what you're doing here, Joey. You know, it's 
it's a nice little life that you've made for yourself, but now the, the chickens have come home to roost and it ends in a big uh, confrontation between between Joey and the Carl Fogarty character, and he ends up, we, we do find out that yes, he is Joey, excuse me, he is Joey Cusack, and that he sort of buried this personality and started a new one. And he has to go home back to Philadelphia to deal with his older brother, Richie, played by William Hertz, who was actually nominated for Supporting Actor. He lost yep. to George Clooney that year for Syriana, which is another one of those tough breaks, because I adore William Hurt in this movie. Oh, I, I adore William Hurt in everything he does, but he sure. is particularly good here, considering he's only got, I think it's about 12 minutes of screen time. Yeah, if that. Yeah, he's he's really just in the toward the end of the movie. Yeah. So I think I think initially what a lot of my problems were is how this film begins. It's so sort of cheesy and TV movie of the week sort of feel to it, trying to establish this idyllic American town. But I, as, over multiple viewings, I've started to realize, oh no, that's that's exactly what they're going for. They are trying to deliberately sort of knock you off base a little bit and give you uh, it, it's sort of like a rope a dope move almost. No, totally. Um, I. I don't know. It's funny. I, this is one of those movies that uh, Melissa and I really, every couple of years, we will turn it on because it's we both really like it. We both get that it's you know in a way Vigo's kind of playing a game and he's playing it really good until it gets pushed just a bit too far. And uh, I don't know, man. It's it's Vigo. I know he's been nominated a couple of times, um, rightfully so. But even even with that, I feel like he gets. He really gets overshadowed by a lot of people, and he is truly one of the best working actors out there today. He is—he's fantastic. I find him captivating in everything he does. Um, yeah, I, I feel I, like both both this and uh, the the other film, the, the second film he did with with uh, Cronenberg, Eastern Promises, they both kind of got sidelined as far as his performances are concerned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that, he's and granted fabulous in both. Yeah, Eastern Promises was the one he got nominated for. Oh, he did. I, I'd forgotten that. Entirely. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, yeah. I forget who we who we lost to, but yeah, if it was if it was two years later, which I think it was, he he would have lost to Daniel Day Lewis for uh, um, "There Will Be Blood." Again, another. I mean, you can't argue you, with that I, one. I know. Yeah, it's that's tough. <laughs> it don't. It it will be his year eventually. Oh yeah, yeah. It it'll yeah yeah. He'll do something great like he always does, and it'll it'll the, the everything will meet the right way. Well, that's awesome. That, that movie's fantastic. I, I am. We could do a whole episode on a history of violence. That movie is fantastic. Oh, I could, I can make a great case for it being in the book, but that's that's not what we're here to discuss. Anyway, what is your recommendation this week? So, uh, a few weeks ago, when we did our seven episode, I, I, I told you that I was going to start a new, a new phase of recommends, which was I can't believe my wife hasn't seen this yet. Um, uh, on that episode, we dropped uh, my recommend was The Fugitive. Uh, this week, my recommendation is almost famous. Um, oh, I've fantastic! Been, I've been trying to, to to get her to watch this for a while, it, and she wasn't. It wasn't like she was fighting it. It just, for whatever reason, we watched something else, or it, it just didn't make any sense. And um, I so the only copy I have now is the director's cut, and it, it is pretty long. So we we really were trying to find a slot where it would make sense to watch it. Uh, that slot happened to be a few nights ago. And and we watched it. Um, and for anybody who who hasn't seen the movie, we um we grow up, we we kind of follow uh, Patrick Fugit, who's playing um this young, <laughs> younger than he even maybe realizes at first. Um, 
uh, kid who has um, Francis McDormand is his mom, a single mother who is definitely sort of raising um, him and his sister Zoe Deschanel in a very specific way. Um, certainly going a little more, um, you know, no meat, no music, sort of a more pure life. Um, uh, Zoe Deschanel leaves and leaves him all of these records. And he becomes obsessed with music. And as that as time kind of progresses, he becomes sort of a, 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 a burgeoning rock critic. And he gets to meet Lester Bangs, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. And um, he gets some tips from him. And he ultimately gets an assignment to go um, to go uh, write for, uh, is it Cream? Or is it Sabbath? It's Black Sabbath, I think. Um, yeah, the, he's yeah, he's, it's a Black Sabbath concert that he's trying to get into. Oh, he's writing for Cream Magazine. My bad. I'm, I'm, yeah, I feel that in my head. Um, and that's when he gets to meet Penny Lane, played by Kate Hudson, and uh, we meet Stillwater, the band, which is uh, the uh, uh, lead singer, played by Jason Lee, and Billy Crudup plays the lead guitarist. And basically, the movie is just following Patrick Fugit um, on his first real big writing assignment while he's still technically in high school, pretending to be much older than he is, um, and and sort of uh, getting to see what life on the road is like. Um, I will say I think the director's cut uh, is not – I don't think it's worth it. I think the cut – I think the actual theatrical cut is the right one. Um, from what I can remember, uh, the scenes that they add don't really give me much that I didn't get initially from it. That's that's just my opinion. Um, but regardless, I still really, really like the I, – I mean, Francis McDormand is great. But the 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 crazy, weird Billy Crudup, Patrick Fugit, Kate Hudson love triangle thing – is it's really interesting because you know Patrick Fugit is not he's not going to win but you're rooting for him anyway you can tell that there's some connection between Penny Lane and I forget what Billy Crudup's character's name is um but you could tell there's something there and I, I just I really liked the the, the what, what felt true uh, a really kind of honest take at what bands back in the day was um and again a, a, another very fun short captivating performance from philip seymour hoffman uh, i don't know man this movie is just it's just really good it's just a really nice fun movie that doesn't feel like it's trying to take on too much but still feels like it's making a point in the process yeah no the the end of that movie the last half hour really knocked me sideways i was not anticipating that that was the direction that it was going to go at all and it was and it's an incredible balance of both drama and comedy yeah. And I, I do believe it is Cameron Crowe's best. And I think we made a pretty good case for Fast Times at Ridgemont High coming out of the book and, and almost famous going in during that episode. Yeah. Um, well, the, I definitely still feel that way. Um, and definitely oh, 100%. Getting to watch this, getting to watch Almost Famous again, it's just there. And I get that, you know, Cameron Crowe didn't get to direct Fast Times and that they're, they are kind of wildly different movies, but there's just something that feels so genuine about it. And maybe it's because it's, it's, it's slightly autobiographical um, that this sort of roughly happened to Cameron Crowe. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know. I, I really like, and, and I really like, we were just, we, you know, it's kind of talking about Vigo and how he's underrated. Billy Crudup is really good too. And I don't think he ever really got, he got, between this and big fish. I, I am in love with him. I think he's fantastic. And yeah, I, I just saw something he was in recently, uh, 20th Century Women with um, Annette Benning and Greta Gerwig, and he really shines in that in amongst oh, uh, a couple of great female performances as well. Okay, yeah, I mean, I've heard of that. I haven't gotten to see it, but that's good. That's great to hear. So there you go. Um, almost Famous, 
Oh, what a great... Honestly, like, they have nothing to do with the movie, but Almost Famous and The History of Violence, I mean, two fucking awesome movies, so there you go. Like, and we're quarantined, bitches, so just find these and fucking watch them, because they are good. Watch them back-to-back. Start with History of Violence, and then end with Almost Famous. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty interesting double feature, but I can get behind that. Just, you know, just for the... Uh, you know, they're just both good movies. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to today's uh, film of discussion, and that is the 1982 comedy Tootsie. Um, uh, Tootsie is directed by Sidney Pollack, who I know, at least in terms of being an actor on the show, we've we've talked about before. We are, I think, the two of us are big Sidney Pollack fans. Um, going through his IMDb, I really. I've only seen a couple of movies that he's done. I've seen The Firm. I've seen uh, Three Days of the Condor, and I've seen this. I own Absence of Malice, and I own Out of Africa. And Out of Africa is the only uh, other movie of his in the book. Yeah, he also went on to do a couple of uh, collaborations with Harrison Ford. He did the remake of Sabrina, which is is fun. It's pretty good. It's an early performance by Greg Kinnear. He really shines in. Mm-hmm. And then they also did uh, Random Hearts, which is probably one of the... the one of the more forgotten Harrison Ford films, it's him trying to do something a little bit different. And uh, it's a compelling enough story, but it does drag in quite a lot of places. He does get to act opposite Kristen Scott Thomas, who is fantastic in everything she does, but it's uh, uh, it's one of those uh, late 90s films that has kind of disappeared into obscurity. Yeah, um, and, and we'll get into this later, but I, I will say that um, I'm so glad he was talked into actually being in this movie. I think I there's just... He's he's him in everything, and he's just he's just slight variations of it. Like you can see, you can see his character as his, as the agent in this, and you can you can see that like who he plays in like Eyes Wide Shut or who he is in Michael Clayton. It's just like a variance off, but it's still him. And and some people are just captivating in that way. And I and Sidney Pollock is one of those actors. I I'm really glad he actually was in this movie. <laughs> Oh, you hang in every performance I've seen of his. He he's able to get you hanging on on every word that he says, and his scenes in Tootsie are honestly some of the best ones. Oh, totally. I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a director taking care of himself, but it certainly uh, it certainly worked having yeah. him play the agent. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so here we go. Uh, this movie is written by Larry Gelbart and Murray Shiskel, but for all intents and purposes, uh the uh a lot of the the legwork was done by elaine may after the fact sort of renowned uh playwright and screenwriter in her own her own right um and uh then we get to the cast um and you cannot talk about this movie without talking about dustin hoffman who plays uh michael dorsey and also dorothy michaels um and then uh, uh supporting cast members around him we got jessica lang as julie nichols terry gar as sandy Dabney Coleman as Ron Carlyle, the asshole director. Um, Doris Black as Rita, the producer. Charles Durning plays Les, that is Julie's father. Uh, Bill Murray in a very, very interesting performance as Jeff, uh, Michael's playwright roommate. Uh, Sidney Pollack, we mentioned, as George, Michael's agent. George Gaines as J- Big John, <laughs> the soap opera actor on this on the set. And then I also wanted to point out we get uh, the first two on-screen performances of Gina Davis and Christine Ebersol. Anybody else you wanted to throw out there? 
Uh, I would also throw out Tobin Bell for any Saw fans out there. This was his third feature. He plays a he has a small role as a waiter, and then uh, Andy Warhol also appears oh, in a yes. cameo in the party scene. And, and same uh, with Gene, Gene Shalit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gene, he was the critic that was his scene was ultimately deleted, but he did have a a small role interviewing Dorothy. Very true. Very true. Um, I already mentioned that Sidney Pollock is in the book one other time for Out of Africa. Have you have you seen that? Uh, I've not. It looks. Uh, I'm it not, looks very dry. I'm not excited about it. I will. At, I will at some point, but uh, nah, I'm not really. Is that that Streep? Yeah. Is that Streep and Redford? It is. It is Streep and Redford. Yep. Um. So accolades again. I'm. I'm. I'm picky with these. There. There really are. You could go. You could run down the the gauntlet of what it was uh, nominated for. So, uh, Academy Awards. It was nominated for a bunch. Um, the only thing it won was Best Supporting Actress for Jessica Lange. Other nominees were Best Picture, uh, Best Director for Sidney Pollack, Best Actor Dustin Hoffman, another Supporting Actress nomination for Terry Garr, uh, Original Screenplay, Cinematography, Editing, Sound for some reason, and Song. And a lot of those, it lost to Gandhi. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the other important thing to note is that Jessica Lang was nominated not just for this in the supporting actress role, was also nominated for leading actress in the same year for the film Francis about Francis Farmer. Yeah, and and uh, uh, some of the research and uh, stuff that I watched was, you know, Sidney Pollack was really fighting hard to get her in this. I mean, I think he even visited her on the set of Francis and be like, hey, I get it if you can't, you're literally, you're literally in a project right now but i would love it if when you were done you could come do this thing for us um and and jessica lang uh, uh you know years later was very very thankful that he pleaded as hard as he did because she was she was grateful to be in the movie um uh because it was dubbed a comedy at the golden globes it won a it kind of cleaned house it won picture actor supporting actress for jessica lang lost director and screenplay again um that was, I believe, that was a Gandhi year. Um, at the BAFTAs, it won Best Actor for Dustin Hoffman and Makeup. It lost Best Film, Director, Actress, Supporting Actress, just for Jessica Lange, Adapted Screenplay, Costume Design, and Song. Uh, Sidney Pollock was nominated for a DGA. Our good friends at the Kansas City Film Critics Circle, uh, they gave Best Supporting Actress to Jessica Lange. Um, uh, uh, Tootsie is currently number 69 on the AFI Top 100. It was 62 on the original list. And hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? It was indeed in 1998. Well, there you have it. So we're always going to have it, I think, maybe to Ian's chagrin. Um, <laughs> I don't, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um, this movie uh, currently has a 90% uh, critical score on Rotten Tomatoes with an 81 audience. It is not on the IMDb 250. I imagine maybe we both polled uh, Roger Ebert's review of this film. I believe we did. Hey, look at that. Um, his his four-star review. His four-star review. Um, so I, I, I'll let you read whatever snippets you have first. And maybe maybe you'll hit the paragraph that I pulled because I, 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 I found it interesting because in my research, I kept seeing similar things come up quite a bit. Well, I, I've got the whole thing, but the, the paragraphs that interested me the most were his second paragraph, which says it also works as a lot of other things. Tootsie yep. is the kind of movie with a capital M they used to make in the 40s. 
when they weren't afraid to mix up absurdity with seriousness, social commentary with farce, and a little heartfelt tenderness right in there with the laughs. This movie gets you coming and going. Uh, his final paragraph, he goes on to say, Tootsie has a lot of fun with its plot complications. We get almost every possible variation on the theme of mistaken sexual identities. The movie also manages to make some light-hearted but well-aimed observations about sexism. It also pokes satirical fun at soap operas, New York show business agents, and the Manhattan social pecking order. And it turns out to be a touching love story. After all, so touching that you may be surprised how moved you are at the conclusion of this comedy. I'm really glad you pulled up, or you mentioned the one paragraph about the movie with a capital M, um, because I know a lot of the, I read the Criterion essay that came with it, and just just, just watching a lot of the um, the behind-the-scenes things, that's sort of, that's really what was mentioned a lot, was, you know, how this felt like an old-school, big production uh, movie, and and in a way, it's it it it's interesting because it, we're you know we're living in a day now where comedies rarely get that kind of a budget behind it. But this really, I want to say, it was it like an eight million dollar budget? Um, yeah, no. Uh, so hang on, I have the I have the box office for oh. it. Uh, it had a budget of twenty one million. Oh shit! Way and, off. And and it was the second highest grossing film that year. It was actually Columbia's uh, most successful film at the time. It ended up turning. Uh, in North America, anyway, $177 million. Uh, I do have the top five of 1982, if you're interested. Now, that's E.T.'s one, right? Yeah, that should okay. be no surprise. Yeah, uh, yeah. At the time, biggest film ever made. It went on to make $359 million. And, of course, you can go back and listen to our E.T. episode. Uh, so Tootsie came in second, followed by An Officer and a Gentleman with $130 million. Rocky III had $124 million, And Porky's, $105 million. Wow. Wow. That, uh, disappointing. (laughs) Totally. Okay. With Rocky three. I'm a sucker for Rocky three and and Mr. T eye of the tiger, all that shit. But Porky's being in there leaves, uh, I don't have definitely a a disdain in the mouth. I don't have anything wrong with Rocky three being up there, but I mean, is it really, I mean, that has not aged well. Porky's being in the top five, but is it any, is it any different than like looking at some of the more recent years where the top five were all sequels or franchises? I mean, that's just, that's just sucks too. Um, so, you know, and then I guess, I don't know if you wanted to get into some of the, the history before the movie, or maybe just give like the briefest about, I mean, the movie is a great, it's a great nutshell, like synopsis. It's not very complicated. Um, uh, Dustin Hoffman plays Michael Dorsey. He is a very talented and passionate actor whose passion gets in the way of him being able to work with directors and producers. He is told very bluntly by Sidney Pollack that nobody will hire you. And uh, in response to that, while kind of helping his friend Sandy in on audition, he decides to dress up as a woman, give himself the name Dorothy Michaels, gets cast in a soap opera, falls in love with Jessica Lange, and sees the sexism that happens in the industry. Um, ultimately, he reveals himself to be a man and uh somehow in the end gets the girl um boom there you have it tootsie ha ha um so this really seemed i i the i really here's the thing i i watched quite a bit on the the you know the documentaries and stuff on this and it's really hard to decide whose fucking idea this was it gets it gets kind of messy well, it seems like Dustin Hoffman would be happy with taking all the credit. Yes, I, I yes, I would say so too. Um, I definitely. So I read that, um, uh, that that. So th- uh, okay, so so obviously, th- so there's Robert Evans, famous actor producer. Um, 
but that his his brother, um, Char- Charlie Evans, uh, got found uh, a script by a playwright named Don McGuire at the time. It was it was titled "Would I Lie to You?" Um, kind of about uh, uh, mostly about an unemployed male actor cross-dressing to get jobs. I don't know if there was a love story. I don't know much about the play itself, um, but that that was kind of being shopped around. Buddy Hackett was apparently interested in it at one point, um, and uh, that was going on. And then, and Hal Ashby uh, attached to direct. Well, at that ha- point, Hal Ashby was working with Dustin Hoffman for a while. But I don't. Was it that script? That's where I, see. That's where things get a bit confusing because if you were to ask Dustin Hoffman, him, and um, and not not Larry Gelbart, the other guy, um, uh, Murray uh, Murray, yeah, there you go. Yeah, he. They had been, you know, kind of thinking about this idea for a while. And then they sort of start working with Larry Gelbart, and then they and Hal Ashby is attached to, to direct it, and that's sort of that that's sort of the way it looks like that's gonna go um now ashby was was obligated to uh to well obligated he was forced to leave the project uh over threat of his post-production commitment to looking to get out um i don't i i think that was that was obviously post his good run of films i, I don't know much about that i don't know if you do no nah, no yeah. i don't um so then obviously uh, we're without a director and Sidney Pollack comes on, which is, I mean, I like Hal Ashby a lot, but I'm glad Sidney Pollack came in. Um, and I would say it'd be a, a different movie with Hal Ashby and uh, not to tip my hand too early, but probably a better movie with Hal Ashby. Oh, well, do you think, do you think maybe some of the social commentary would take more, would, would get more of the, uh, Abs- Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I agree. Now, uh, while we're talking about screenwriter and, and who deserves credit and who doesn't, right away, I'm going to say that Don McGuire is probably my unsung hero uh, based on the fact that this, this was his idea and everybody has sidelined him. I mean, it was, it was his play, it was his, his screenplay, his intention to adapt it into a movie. And so for me, it's, it's him and Robert Evans originally trying to get this thing off the ground. And, uh, and honestly, this movie has not really improved. I, I, I never had a bad opinion of Dustin Hoffman. He seemed, uh, there seems to be definitely an arrogance about him, but this has definitely tipped me further in the one direction than it has the other about just how, uh, arrogant Dustin Hoffman must have been in his heyday. Well, it's, it's interesting because I know that they really tried to make at least, at least the opening sort of montage of him auditioning for shows and and being kind of fickle and uh and really uh particular with certain aspects of of a performance or or when he's kind of doing that teaching in the classroom thing i know they were trying to make that somewhat autobiographical about him starting off as an actor in new york um and you know yeah that whole the is is my acting getting in the way of your talking i know that is taken from his experience yeah um and don't and and here's here's the thing this is where I think we're going to differ because I don't I, have you ever seen this movie before? Uh, no, this is my first watch. Okay. Um cuz I while I while I realized that the idea of a of a man pretending to be a woman to get jobs is a really kind of insane plot synopsis um and while I don't think this movie would get made today, I do I do really like what it's trying to say and and for me I'm hooked in immediately 
watching that montage of acting things particularly oh no and 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 so am i i had high expectations uh in those in those first 10 minutes especially all the the sort of nostalgia and good feeling that sort of surrounds this film and i i do love that opening montage the I, whole he, uh the the, Tol- the tolstoy thing yeah, especially i think that's great particularly great and i and just as an as an actor man there are some times when you're you're asked to do something and now i don't think i've ever done that uh but it can it can be particularly uh grueling to be given a direction that just does not it doesn't jive with you and it's not because you're being a dick but you know i think actors i think the best actors are the ones who are the most open and uh, you'll hear a lot of directors say that 90 percent of their job is casting if they cast the role or roles correctly their job is easier because a certain actor is going to bring not originality, but but an openness to just try to, to just be and to make choices. Um, and then and then you know a director's there to shape it. And I I definitely have been in a show or two where I've been told to like you know you need to cross here to there, and I'll ask why. And, and the you know, the response will be something about like you know the stage picture needs it, or I just need you to be away from this particular point. And then instead of and so you've been given a stage direction, but not a motivation to do it. And now you're left trying to make sense of this. And there was just something about the, I'm dying, but you want me to move center stage to give the rest of this speech. I, I, I fucking love that so much. Oh. But I, I, so I respect that greatly. I also respect the other side of it where the director finally breaks down and just says, I'm your director and I've asked you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a tough, and that's the thing too is, is, it's got to be tough to be caught in between that, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And and there are, there are plenty of plenty of actors and directors out there who are much more collaborative. And I do think I do think that um, part of what this movie is trying to say is that um, you know we that on the the set of Southwest General, you know that this it's not really there is no collaboration, you know, until in, in a way until he comes on set and he's trying to help. Um, Jessica Lang's character, uh, you know, improve some of the scenes, and and he's out there improving and 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 stuff, and and I, I like I like that that there's a, a trying to push push the edge a little bit to make it more open, because um, it really does. Uh, it it basically really is just um, it really is uh, uh, Ron Carlyle, the the director. It's really his his world. It's his kingdom, and. I do like that, and another thing that I really like is that we have um, Rita as the producer there. Kind of, who she does have she does have power too, but it, you know it really does feel like you know Dabney Coleman's out there basically just running the show. And and don't get me wrong. So if I'm if I'm sounding like I didn't enjoy this film, there there was a lot that I did appreciate about it. Um, I I love its its commentary on sexism, even though I don't feel like it went far enough. Uh, which is my my same problem with audition last week is dealing mm-hmm. with like I, I think I mentioned in that the sort of uh, casting couch justice. I mean, it didn't quite go far enough with that idea. The same problem in Tootsie, um, I, and I feel like it's got kind of a. We've talked about the white savior complex before in certain films, and this certainly has uh, an element of the male savior. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it, it totally. takes a man to come into this, a man as a woman to come into this thing and to to shake it up. Yeah, and that rather than rather than a strong female actor coming in and doing and, the same thing. 
and I, I totally, yes, I, I hear, I hear that. And, and I think it's, this is one of those times where I feel like obviously we're seeing this with 2020 eyes and we both, we both have seen this movie for the first time. I, I agree that that that's not great, but there is something, I guess there's something about the, the, fact the that concept is, is fantastic. I'm, well, I'm not going to take anything away from that. I love the, 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 just the bare bones idea of it. No, I, no. And I, I, I do too, but I do think that there's something about, um, I mean, God, I think Jessica Lange says something about like, isn't it, you know, isn't it strange being a woman in the eighties or something? There's some, some line about that when she's talking just to, to, uh, to Dorothy and, um, and there's something about that that, you know, I even I feel like we're the the eighties. The eighties just seemed to be like a really fucking weird time. And um, so I can we can we sidebar slightly and sort of take a look at the eighties on a sort of macro level. So I listened to the private resort episode of Below Freezing. Great episode. Laughed a lot during that. Thank you. Uh, and you guys, you guys did tackle a lot of issues of sexism and misogyny in that. And I think you had a little sidebar where you talked about making a case for the '80s being the worst decade for film. Yep. And I'm I'm very torn because I do really like the beginning of the '80s, and I really like the last few years of the '80s. Uh, from about '86 onward, I think the the second half of the decade was definitely much much stronger than the first half. And that's, and I, I I came into this thing wondering, hey, can I combat Adam at all and sort of make an argument for the '80s not being that bad? And Tootsie didn't really help me, because even though I love what it addresses and I love the the concept, and I can't fault any of the performances, I think they're all completely pitch perfect. Uh, it's this film is is uh, hindered by the style of the time. And, and the sort of aesthetics of the time. There must be, I didn't count, I gave up counting, there must be about a dozen fucking montages in this movie, and that big pop jazzy score is fucking awful. Oh, yeah. Atrociously bad. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. And I don't, um, the, you know, go, tootsie, go. I, it's just. No, it, it's, oh man, it's too much. And what's the, what's the more famous song from that, though? Now I'm totally blanking on it, um. Uh, the one that it was nominated for, yeah. Oh shit! Oh, it, oh, that it might be you. Thank you. Yeah, Which I think it's yeah. The, yeah. I think it's the song that that ends the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and I and I and that's that's one of those things where, you know, that's that's, that's such an interesting thing to bring up because I guys I agree like the montages I I definitely were like when when those started I was like I remember like because I was taking my notes on my laptop and. Uh, when we got to the montages, I was like, okay, I like, I, I could, I could sit back and take like a breather. Cause I knew like, I'm not going to have any notes about this. I don't have anything to say about it other than, but some, some, you know, at some point between the late seventies and early eighties, montages were huge. They really became like pervasive and, and with, with the, you know, like the, the song of choice from the soundtrack blatantly just plastered over it. And it, and I don't know why you know it tends to work maybe more in sports movies when it's a training montage when it's like Karate Kid or or Rocky Three or something, but um no I I agree the 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 music is not great but I I guess I just and maybe it's unfair but I guess I just chalk it off to oh no, it was the '80s you know and I just for me the montages and the score and the music it doesn't. It doesn't work against it, cause, cause then again, I, they're like, <laughs> for whatever reason, like the songs in this one don't work for me. But Power of Love, 
from Back to the Future, fucking put that on and I I will sing the shit out of that, right? There's just certain songs that 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 work for each so maybe maybe there are people out there who really like the songs from this and and maybe there's a nostalgia that we don't have for it, but and, I, and while I still think the 80s are a really shitty decade for film, um I I, I don't I what I was trying to get to was that I do think that besides the fact that you know it's a man that it takes a man to uh, bring to light the problems that that females are having on the set, I do think that it, at this time it it did have to be, and not that you couldn't have made it another way because you easily could have, but I do think that it it, it I, I think this was a time where maybe it was necessary to broach that subject a little bit more was to, to sort of bring it through the eyes of a man. And I get that, that, that sucks that, that it shouldn't have to be that way, but there is something um, about the fact that it does come to light that I, I, I do appreciate. And I'm, I, I it worked for me. Yeah. My, my problem as a whole with, with these types of films is I'm, I'm starting to think a little bit about, what we say about sexism when we make movies and it seems like now not every single one i don't want to generalize in that much of a way but they had to they had to frame this film as a comedy and i i haven't seen bombshell you've seen bombshell right yes even bombshell which deals with this issue in a more current time uh, more recent history even that film at least the trailers anyway still framed it as a comedy so Which my problem not. is is that we're not we're not really making any progress in this issue from a film standpoint yeah well and it's and that stuff it's so funny you bring up you bring up bombshell because i listened to um the the dga does a podcast where they talk with directors and i listened to the one with jay roach about bombshell and you know he even he admitted uh, initially, because because Charlie's Theron brought the project to him, and he read it and he really liked it, and he was like, "Charlie's, you you do th- this, maybe this should be made with a female director," and and she she really liked the work that he did, especially um, on the, the the recount and uh, one of the other HBO movies. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and didn't he did Trumbo as well? Yeah, fairly yeah. Recently. And, yeah, but yeah. but it was though it was the political those kind of political movies and the sort of social satires that that he was doing that 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 Charlize cl- clung to, and that was why she brought it to him. And now it, it, this is it's such a weird thing because I w- would Bombshell have been better if if Jay Roach wasn't the director and it was a woman? Would Tootsie have been better if it if it was directed by a woman, or would it have been better if? maybe some of the the other female characters in the movie had had a stronger point of view um i know jessica lang doesn't get a she doesn't really get to to have that that moment where she kind of really kind of fights against carlisle um i do like i really really like terry gar in this movie um and i think oh she's great she's uh and she makes a pretty strong case for being an unsung hero as well well and and even she, though she she did get some nominations she, oh totally but i was gonna say so but i do think a lot of that credit goes to my unsung hero who is elaine may who literally if you watch the credits of the movie she's not on it if you ask anybody involved with it they will tell you just how much she actually did but she, you know she just came in and, and made some suggestion suggestions and and i think really added to some of the more specific details that that really did flesh out the movie because just watching a guy dress up as a woman to get parts that's not that's not enough and i for me 
it was a lot of those other factors that I think Elaine May really brought in that that worked. Um, because yeah, this could have easily just felt really pretentious. Just it could have felt just like Hoffman wanting to do something really, you know, method actory and and um well there is there is still some of that in there and yes. I have uh I have a a very hard time empathizing with Dustin Hoffman in this film cuz he is there are moments where he is genuinely a piece of shit. Yeah, it's tough because Yeah, I'm yes. <laughs> I'm trying to I mean find... he is he is using his position in order to try and jump into bed with Jessica Lang and he does the same with Terry Gar. It was kind of at that moment where I was pulled out of the movie a little bit, uh, where he's, I mean, yes, he's, he's playing a very arrogant character in the movie anyway, and that's fine. That's, that's just who he is in the movie. Uh, but when he's at Sandy, the, the, the Terry Gar character's house, and she goes off into the, into the shower and he starts like pawing through her clothes, trying to get ideas for what he can wear as Dorothy. And when she comes back out and he's like half undressed and he needs to come up with some kind of ruse to explain why he's half naked in her bedroom and he just says I want you I'm like, oh man that's kind of fucking skeezy dude no it, it no, at it that is. point I'm like why why should I care anymore about Dustin Hoffman Ooh, this is fun because we're flipping scripts here because I, I'm usually the one talking about why do I care about characters in movies I love this um yeah and and that's the thing is is I'm now I'm taking your position in Raging Bull which is I, I don't think that you are um and maybe again, and I, there's a total bias here of of being an actor. And and while I I don't think I would ever do some of the things that he does, there there is a certain sense of of um, I don't know if you want to call it arrogance, but totally total self centeredness. Like as much as you know, he wants to help Bill Murray and get his play produced and and get Sandy in the in the play with them, or you know, in in the show. It ultimately is because there's a great part in it for him that he could do great things with. And as much as those, there's those other two things about, oh, I'm helping my, my roommate playwright friend and Sandy could be in it too. It's mostly because, oh, there's a great role in it for me. And, 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 I, and that's not a good thing. That's not a great quality at all. But it is very honest. It is, it is true to... Um, the people that I know, and maybe if I was a boxer, I would feel differently about Raging Bull because I'd be like, ah, I've seen people like him. I, I get it. I don't. It's not right, but I get it. I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you bring up Raging Bull as a comparison because I I still lean on Raging Bull, uh, being the more, not necessarily empathetic. I'm struggling for the word that I want, but the the point I want to get to is that in the end, Jake LaMotta doesn't get what he wants. He still has some semblance of a career, not a boxing career, but he's left destitute and no family and disgraced, and he's just working nightclubs doing bits of stand-up and, and spoken word and, and uh, re, uh, you know, reciting bits of, of whatever from, from plays and, and movies. Whereas I feel like Dustin Hoffman in this film, his character, maybe he learns something, but I'm not sure that he does entirely. I mean, we don't know that he's going to enter into a romantic relationship with Jessica Lange at the end of the film, but at least they are on friendly terms. Yeah. And he is getting, he's still getting to put on his play, even if it is at a, a very small 
uh, what the, the the playhouse almost looks like it's in a barn or something like that. Yeah, it's like it's Syracuse or something. Yeah, it's definitely not. Yeah, in yeah, the city. exactly. So there's there's a weird sort of up and down roller coaster dynamic to this character where yes he does learn some things and he does stand up to the very misogynistic uh community in this soap opera but then he's also still out for his own arrogant and selfish needs so it's like yeah i i i want to empathize with him but i just can't because he's at the end of the day he's he's still him and he's still even when the show is at its most successful because of him being in it he wants out yeah well there's um god i don't know if i took uh i don't know if i took this this line specifically and i probably didn't which sucks but um there's a moment uh later on where he's been roped into watching um Jessica Lange's daughter well, she's it's it seems like she's supposed to go tell off Carlisle, which I don't think happens. And she comes back and um, which, by the way, I'm very disappointed that we don't get that moment. Oh, where she tell she tells him off. Yeah. Well, and well, okay, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. But there's something. So so obviously Hoffman tries to make a move on her. And there's a there's a very weird moment between the two of them. And then um, it's, I don't know if it's the next day, but it's, it's you know, a day or two later, um, Dustin Hoffman's bringing a gift for her, oh, son, daughter? Oh, shit, daughter, right? It's a, a daughter. daughter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, and there's a very awkward moment between them, and she says something to the effect of, you know, I, like, I, I what is it, like, I, I, I love you and I, I hate you? It's something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Definitely, there's these conflict like, you know, you've made me a better person, but I, I can't stand to be around you, and... I think that's, I think that's sort of what we're getting at is is some of the the way that, the way that Hoffman is kind of affecting the people around him, and and while it's a very shitty and and sinister way of going about it, I do think that there should be it will and should be some changes happening, you know, and the fact that we get that little scene with the producer where she's saying it's where he gets the contract extension. He's like, but we're getting like a hundred letters a week or whatever. It's more than that. And, uh, you know, we want you on the show because you're giving you're you're something for women to look up to. Now, again, I get that he's a man and that that's not totally genuine, but there is something I, I inspiring. Like, and again, I, 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 it sucks that he is pretending to be a woman for that to happen. But you know, if it incites the right kind of change, how bad was it? I guess. Um, and again, it, it's it's coming from very selfish. Like he didn't take the part for that, which again makes this whole thing complicated. Because if if he was taking the role to really, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna break the chains and I'm gonna expose how misogynistic all this shit is, that would be one thing. But it's not. He just wants a part. It's like he's proven it to himself. At one point, he actually says, "This is the ultimate acting challenge." And so the whole thing is a, it's a big play to him. It's a big script where he's getting to, to live as this character. And, um, it, it, it re- the whole thing is very, it's, it's, it's weird because it's, it's very complicated and very dramatic in a way, but then, and, and sorry, ultimately I'm trying to circle back to the raging bull thing. And I think why this feels different is because it's not based on a true story and it's very farcical in a way. This, this reminds me of a Moliere play where, Everything is over the top, and the 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 lesson, the theme is really clear. Like it's about kind of like one thing, and I think that this movie ultimately is about what it is to be 
what it is to be a woman in this industry. You could say it's about other things too, but I really think that's what they're trying to hammer home. And I think because it, it kind of does have a driving theme and we get to see it with, um, you know, with, with not just a Jessica Lang and, 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 and Dustin Hoffman as Dorothy, but, you know, we kind of like the, the the soap actor guy who who basically like it's a bit where he gets, he gets oh, to Van kiss Horn. everybody in the show. And while it's sort of like ridiculous and funny, it's also like, no, it's it's messed up. And that's why we, I like the little scene where she refuses to kiss him. And uh, but then but then there are moments like the I don't even know how to say it, the almost rape in his, in his uh, apartment, which is really really weird and i don't like that they kind of tried to make a joke out of it that yeah no that's that's one of the 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 things about this movie that definitely hasn't aged well and and i'm i'm surprised that they found it funny at the time if i'm honest well and yeah i and i i don't think they were going for like guffaw but they definitely were trying to be cheeky with it, and it's still I don't yeah it didn't work. And there's it, that, and that's that again. That's my my big problem with this film. There is there's almost too much about it that's cheeky. I would have yes, it's fine for this film to have comedic elements to it, but I just wish some of the issues in it had been handled with a little more weight and uh, especially sincerity. Yes, I, I just and I think I think maybe the reason why it works. Uh, what well, well, works more for me than it does for you is just I think I just settled so much more into this being a farce and yeah I, I wasn't yeah. Trying... And, and, I, and I totally get that I can yeah. 100% see that side of it yeah um so in the midst of uh all these terrible songs and montages could were you able to find a, a shot or a scene that stood out to you well I think there's most people would say that the the big iconic shot is the first emergence of him in public you know with that that shot that's been parodied endlessly of him yeah. you know walking through the street and the and of course the the calling for the the taxi and then can't get a, a taxi so he calls for it in his own voice um i i don't know i love uh it's not necessarily my my favorite i don't have a favorite shot per se but some of my favorite stuff is at the party at the beginning uh especially with Bill Murray. We haven't really talked about Bill Murray a lot yeah, in the yeah. midst of all of this. And it's um, it's a more understated performance from Bill Murray, and Bill Murray even agreed to not have his name over the opening credits so that people wouldn't see that and then expect something that was a bit more over the top, like Meatballs or Caddyshack. It's, uh, it's a performance that's more akin to something uh, like The Razor's Edge or uh, Lost in Translation. It's yeah. him showing that, hey, I'm not just that big, over-the-top, goofy guy. I really like him, and he gets some wonderful dialogue in that party scene talking about... I mean, it's all very pretentious, but I, <laughs> I, I really love it, that that playwright with these lofty ideas. He's like, you know, I'd, I'd love a theater that's only open when it rains. Or, you know what, I don't want people to come up to me a week later and, and talk to me about how much the play influenced them. I want them to come up to me and say, hey, I saw the play. What happened? Yeah, yeah. There's, like, yeah, there's, oh, fuck that reminds me of the pretentious little prick that well i still kind of am but definitely was when i was 17 <laughs> i just and i every scene that that murray is in he and not just because he's murray i mean he definitely does get some of the best dialogue and some of the best interactions i, I love it when he uh i think he he goes to to wake dustin hoffman up and he's like oh god mom <laughs> well and i get i think 
a lot of that credit goes to because I'm pretty sure it was Elaine May's idea to add a roommate. And I think yeah, there you go. It's just I, you know I think so much of the cleverness of the script really came from from her contributions, which is which is great. Um, do you I, have I, a favorite shot? I yeah, I mean yeah, shot wise, it's hard to. I really do like the. I really do like the her walking through the crowd. I think that's great. Um, but my my favorite scene literally is it's it's the entire scene, the entire first scene between Dustin Hoffman and Sidney Pollack. It is just fantastic. Watching oh, the the one where he goes to his office, or the one in the yes. tea room? No, no, the one where they, they meet in his office. It, we're, we're, yeah. it basically is, you know, no one will hire you. There's just something about the. I just there's just something so great about watching two actors, and and it's great too because they, because because of how involved they both were. Obviously, Pollock as the director and Dustin sort of bringing this from the ground up in a way getting to have worked on this so much together that when they when they get to shoot the scene, it's just. They're just, I mean, they're just really going at it. And one of my one of my favorite behind the scenes things that I saw was they were showing, uh, it was like a behind the scenes camera showing them shooting that scene. And the 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 main camera for the film was the over the shoulder of Sidney Pollock. So we're, so the camera would be seeing Dustin Hoffman. But what's great is that the behind the scenes camera is basically just on Sidney Pollock, and Pollock isn't half assing it. Right? It's it's great to see somebody still giving it. A hundred percent when all you're all you're seeing of them is like part of their head and ear and shoulder, right? But he's still giving them the lines with the same veracity and intensity that we would get if the camera was on him. And and it, I can't I mean Sidney Pollock is not the unsung hero because he's in it and he directed it and he got nominations out the wazoo, but so glad that his involvement went even just beyond somehow filling in for Hal Ashby, but also getting into the movie. Yeah, I love hearing stories about that. People have talked to, I listened to, what did I listen to? I listened to Kevin Bacon on uh, Marin weeks ago, uh, old episodes, I'm going back through Marin's archive, and uh, he was talking about Jack Nicholson on A Few Good Men, and how even when the camera wasn't on him, it was still that same intensity, and they were like, Jack, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to do that every time, and he's like, I, I don't care, I love acting. Yeah. I love hearing stories about that, that sort of consummate professionalism. And I don't and I don't want to end this episode on any kind of negative note, even though I think I've made my case pretty clear that I'm not <laughs> enamored with it. But performance-wise, I just want to reiterate that, that everybody is doing incredible work in it. I fell in love with Jessica Lange almost immediately. Yeah. Absolutely love her in this. Deserves all the praise that she got for it. But Gina Davis also, you could tell that she was going to be a star. Yeah. from this early role like yeah, I mean, when they do the when they do the final reveal in that last episode that he's in at the soap opera and they keep cutting back to her reaction shots are priceless they're very good they're very good i mean yeah five years later she would win her her first oscar for uh yeah. the accidental tourist um so i'm looking and she'd at go on to be great and stuff like beetlejuice and the fly and the the, the 80s the 80s and early 90s were fantastic for her yeah. i even love the long kiss goodbye which oh my god think... oh dude okay dude i'm so i was but i was like if he's not gonna say it i'm gonna say it because it's so against what she does and it doesn't totally work but i, I it's it's a cheesy stupid dumb movie that doesn't really make any sense but she's in oh it it's, Sam Jackson it's high octane it. action 90s shit at its best oh yeah yeah very much so um so there's there was there's at least one more there's one more thing that I want to bring up and I'm looking at this the cast list um and we can even we can even like throw in like Gina Davis too who, who's not in it that much 
and I'm I'm looking at this and and I agree. I think everybody's doing really great work. And I'm I'm curious if you would agree with this statement of the eight or nine main people in the movie, the people that we listed at the beginning. I think Dustin Hoffman is the weakest link of the cast. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. And I agree not just on a performance level, but I also agree with that because it seems like he's been trying to rewrite history about this film. And, and, and I, it's it's funny because everything up into the creation of Dorothy, I I, I like what he's I like he's he's playing the struggling actor. There's something again that I can I can relate to and see about that that I find interesting. Um, I don't I don't really like the the Dorothy manifestation. I don't like how that goes. You you have to buy it, and at least it's it's pretty solid throughout the movie. Like that's just that's who that is going to be, and fine. Um, but I'm looking at everybody else and like, I mean, obviously Jessica Lange and Terry Garr got Oscar nominations and they're, they're great in it. Bill Murray's doing some weird, funny shit. Sidney Pollack is fantastic. Charles Durning. We haven't talked about Charles Durning, who again, is just a great character actor playing his role the way it should be played. He's very earnest. He's very genuine. Um, I think Uh, that, that that actually might be one of my other favorite moments in the movie is their final conversation at the the bar. bar. Yeah, when he gives when he gives the ring back, and he's like, "The only reason I don't I haven't hit you is because I didn't kiss you." Um, and I'm just, yeah, and it. But I it, also have I also have problems with that scene as well because it seems like the dad is almost signing off on him going to talk to Julie again. You know what I mean? There's this kind of that that doesn't quite work for me, but I do like the perfor- the two performances anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just I'm just yeah I was just I kept thinking. Not, I mean, while I was watching the movie, but just looking at this list, I mean, I think everybody really does what they're supposed to do with the roles. I and and like again, like I feel like that Dor- Doris Black as the producer, she's really in it. But I love what she, I love what she brings to the table. Um, I think I really think my favorite, my favorite line is, and it happens so quick, is when she goes, "How far can you pull back?" And the camera guy goes, "How do you feel about Cleveland?" <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Oh, and then that, that there's all that's also repeated when they go, "Hey, getting closer," and they're like, "No, no, no, not too close." Oh, where they freak out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, those are those are great little bits of the movie. Um, so, without any further ado, is it is it question time? I yeah, I believe so. Unless you've hit all the points you want to hit, I I think I have. So all right. So Ian, do you believe that Tootsie should be in the book? I do not. Ah, not surprised by that whatsoever. Um, I'm wondering, though, what your replacement might be. My replacement was an easy one. I thought of it. I, it just came to me immediately. My replacement is Trading Places, the John Landis film with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. Now, this, this will, I'll, I'll need you to just talk about this because I uh, have never seen it. <laughs> You've never oh my god man that's something you got to put it's, on your you've never seen no, trading places I I own it it was one of those I it, it fit into my bag at half price books and my my $25 bag of 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 movies it's it's out there I just haven't seen it Oh man uh the trading places is one of my absolute favorite 80s movies um so directed by John Landis he's only got one in the book he's just got uh an American werewolf in London but that 
which blows my mind because he also directed Blues Brothers, which I made a, a case for being in the book during our West Side Story episode, and then he a, also directed is, Animal I, House. I gotta which say, is I gotta say, of, I gotta say, I, that that West Side Story one that might be one of the worst takes you've ever had. One of the I, absolute I know. It's worst okay. takes. I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace it. That is a hill that I will happily die on. Fair enough. But anyway, tra- trading places. Uh, the basic story is there are uh, a couple of very wealthy uh, Wall Street types who decide to uh, conduct a little social experiment. They take the the sort of general manager of their firm, played by Dan Aykroyd, who has got everything he could ever want, the greatest Ivy League education. He's about to marry their godniece or their or their grandniece or something like that. He's got he's got everything. He's got this beautiful home. Uh, with this live-in servant played, Denholm Elliott might be the the unsung hero of that film. Honestly, um, they they decide to to take him and replace him with Eddie Murphy, who is this sort of con artist who's living destitute and on the streets. And they they disgrace the Dan Aykroyd character, throw him out on his ass, and then they make Eddie Murphy their you know knight in white armor, the knight in shining armor, who's going to take over the firm and and see if they can can see if he will you know change uh his sort of social standing and and change his attitude towards life and see if dan Aykroyd will become uh, a sort of criminal who after being disgraced whether he will sort of resort to crime and 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 you know you know not try and rise out of his poverty once they find out that this this con has been done to them and that the the bet was only for a dollar they decide to sort of take revenge on these two guys and and sort of leave them destitute um very very funny comedy not entirely politically correct as you can imagine with a lot of those eddie murphy comedies from the 80s uh dan Aykroyd uh very unfortunately does some blackface in it oh god uh but (sighs) <sighs> that aside, I think the social commentary in that film is is fabulous. The opening montage, especially showing the the, the poverty gap in a, montage? a city like Philadelphia. In the 80s? Yes, yes, yes. A montage. The opening montage uh, showing the the poverty gap uh, still really hits home for me, anyway. Um, so I think you know, even though it might not be the most politically correct choice to choose to replace Tootsie. I do think it, it also has a lot to say as far as social commentary is concerned, not about sexism necessarily, but definitely about, uh, poverty and the 1%. Well, there you have it. There you I don't know it. that I've made a very strong case, but anybody who hasn't seen trading places, including yourself, it is, uh, a few unfortunate, things from the time aside it is very very funny and uh really was the the big star maker for eddie murphy he'd only just done 48 hours and had yet to do beverly hills cop so to see him in his prime always makes me happy i i very desperately miss that eddie murphy he keeps hinting that he's going to go back on the road and do some some comedy and i would happily put myself into temporary debt to buy tickets to his stand-up i just (laughs) i really really miss that eddie murphy before Disney sunk their claws into him and he started doing Nutty Professor and Norbert and all that fucking garbage. Well, the first Nutty Professor isn't bad, but it, it is it is the start of a terrible train. It just Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um it, it's a, you know, it's a yes for me. And uh and it's funny because it I I see and and I hear and agree with a lot of the reasons why it it's not in the book for you. Um 
but I just can't. There's something about seeing the the underbelly of acting for a little bit, and and I do think, in its farcical way, I do appreciate what it's trying to say. I think some of the performances in particular are just just fantastic, and there's just something, and and, and in the ways that I think other '80s movies shouldn't be in the book. There, I mean, even though I'm not I'm not a fan of the montage, I'm not a, a fan of the the soundtrack in this movie. It almost seems like it seems like a very capstone piece of like look at like there this is this is an eighties movie like everything about it this is the eighties and um to even like to to this the the how relevant soaps were you know like there's just something that feels really eighties about it and uh while the way that they had to get the message across maybe isn't the perfect way in twenty twenty I do feel like it it was a great leap forward in nineteen eighty two and um. Yeah, I just I I found myself quite charmed by Tootsie. Hey, I can appreciate that. And honestly, this movie has joined uh, that list of films that I know I probably would have appreciated more had I seen it at the time. It's definitely now up there with stuff like Airplane and Spinal Tap and uh, a lot of those Zucker comedies that they were making at the time. It's, uh, had I seen it at the time, I I wouldn't doubt that I would have had a greater appreciation for it. Well, that is just, that's where we are. That's where we are with these movies and and Tootsie in particular. But you know what? That is just what two guys in their early 30s think about Tootsie. We want to know what you think about Tootsie. So as always, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Hit us up. Let us know. What do you think of Tootsie? Do you think it should be in the book? Do you think something else should go in? Um, You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. I'm sure there are more. I don't keep track of all those things. Please like, rate, review, comment, all of those wonderful things. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know how we can improve. You can support the show at patreon.com slash 1001 by one And um, join us next week for this little little, uh, little Spielberg tangent. Um, uh, we, 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 we went to the polls. We went to you. you. You made yourself very clear with which movie we should do. Um, so we're going we're gonna... to... And I forgive you. Oh, well, they don't. They don't need. I, re- I was hoping it was going to go the other way, but that's okay. I'm happy to talk about this film as well. So, so please stay tuned uh, next week for the start of our little Spielberg stint. But until then, I am Adam, and I am Ian, and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>